Good morning. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. We are uh, just this three weeks left of our series out of Eden. It seems like we've been here forever. Hope you've been enjoying it this morning. uh, We've been kind of talking about Genesis chapters one, two, and three, the early part of our Bible. This morning, we're going to deal with a subject, uh, something that every single one of us in this room, every one of us, all of us face and deal with all of us. I don't care where you were raised, whether it's here in Lancaster County, in California, off in France or Switzerland, or some other place in the world, or where you've been raised, no matter what your ethnic or racial background is, no matter where you've grown up in a city or out in a rural, it does not matter who you are or where you've been. This is something that every, I can boldly say, we all face and we all deal with. The subject is temptation. Now, I want to say right up front, temptation isn't wrong. Temptation isn't bad. Temptation isn't sinful. We all face it. Uh, what we, and all of us, I'm going to venture a stab in the dark. Maybe not all of us, but at least most of us want to win the battle. When we're tempted, we don't want to fall because that thing that tempts us is something that we know isn't good for me. isn't going to help me. isn't going to be good for my wife or my husband or my family. Um, it, it, so we want to win the battle, but we all have that one, two or three things that we struggle with. Let me give you a couple examples uh, of this. And again, I'll share a bunch, not going to share them all, but see if maybe one of them hits your thing, or maybe if it doesn't try and get what is your thing that, that tempts you. Um, a lot of us, for me, as soon as I see tempted, I think of food. I don't know why I think of food, but it's like the diet, the, the, the hard to say no food is something I struggle with. So maybe that's why my mind immediately goes there. I was at a birthday party uh, last night for my family and I discovered a new favorite ice cream. As you know, I love ice cream. Turkey Hill has, Turkey Hill has this salted caramel. Have you guys had this? This stuff is amazing. I mean, it it, it doesn't come in a half gallon anymore. So I don't know what size that little, little container is, (laughs) but when I get it, I could literally eat the entire thing. I get to the birthday party and lo and behold, it comes out of the freezer. And I'm thinking, wow, go up to the person serving it. And they give me this little tiny portion now, I wouldn't know if there was a message being sent my way when I was like, right away, I was kind of rude, actually, as I thought about it. I was like, that's all I get? Well, just, just wait. I'm thinking, well, just wait. Just, just give me that. And just, so again, I, food, nothing wrong with ice cream, nothing wrong with enjoying ice cream, but I like to enjoy it a little more than probably what I should. So food's a big one. Uh, maybe for some of you at Shady Maple Smorgasbord or all the other places around, all around here that, man, Lancaster County cooking at its finest. And you've already been through the buffet twice, three times, four times maybe. And you're thinking, I should not go back for that fifth trip. But, boy, I really want to get back there. Um, so food. Some of us, it's drink. Some of us, it's substances, whether it be drugs or alcohol. Very serious can wreck a life and can damage it. And, and if I can't control that substance, uh, being alcohol, boy, it's going to make a mess. And so boy, you get home, you've had a bad day, a long day, and you want to reach into that refrigerator and, or, or stop by the bar. And so again, you feel that temptation and that draw and that pool for some, it's coffee. You think, man, I shouldn't be drinking. Yeah, some of you are going, yeah, some of you don't step on my toes, right? Some of you are going, please don't go there. Some of you say, you know, you couldn't do your day without coffee and you're trying to maybe break your habit because it's controlling you. And, and man, it's tough. It's hard. Uh, for other of us, when we think of tempted, we think of the kind of the whole sexual arena. Maybe it's that thing, that image that you shouldn't look at. You know, you shouldn't look at the phone in your pocket, the laptop at your office, or, or maybe it's the flirtation that the person at work, that's not your spouse or at school or, or wherever it may be at college. And you're saying, you know, I shouldn't be there. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be saying that I shouldn't be flirting in that area, but it feels really good. And there's this draw and there's this pool, but you get home. You think I can't, I can't go there. Others of us, maybe it's money. Maybe it's money, right? 
you know, you, you see those infomercials. Maybe, maybe it's the Sham Wow from a little while back or the Snuggie. Or maybe the, the, the one I've seen a lot lately as I've been watching TV is the Flexible Hose, the incredible expanding green hose, right? And for, for two easy payments of just $19.99, not only do you get the hose, but you get a second hose. And then you get the, and they go through this. And you just say, they're going, Matt, it's amazing. My life would be so much better if I had that. And so burning a hole in your, in your pocket is that wallet and that credit card. But you know that the credit card bill is already backed up. You can't pay your bills and you really don't need the flexible green hose. But you go there anyway. You're tempted to go there. Uh, so it's spending money. For some, it's stealing you say, I don't steal, but, but yeah, but maybe, maybe add a little zero on the tax return or maybe steal time for my employer at work. My employer doesn't want me on my phone, my smartphone posting Facebook posts in, in the middle of the afternoon, but I'm tempted to go there. I'm tempted to take things that are not mine. Uh, for some, it's maybe cheating. This was a big one for me in school. I cheated all the time in school. And, and he said, well, the pressure was so high. I wanted to play at the game on Friday night. I knew I had to get the grades. I, I had, I, so I cheated. I wanted the grade. I had to get the grade. So cheating was one that I struggled with. Maybe others you say cheating or, um, so that might be one for you. For some of us, maybe it'd be words, what we use with our mouth. Maybe we get in the lunchtime conversation and Susie start, becomes the topic of conversation. I don't know why I always use Susie, by the way. I apologize if your name's Susie. I don't know why my mind always goes there, but generic name, I guess. Uh, so I sit there and Susie becomes a topic of conversation and you, you want to add to it. And you know, you shouldn't, you know, you don't, you know, you really like Susie, but they don't like Susie and I want to fit in here. And so you're tempted to add some things or maybe tell a lie. If I just fudge this just a little bit, I'll be, they'll like me more or I won't get in trouble or whatever it might be for you. Or maybe spouts of anger might be something you struggle with or uh, tempted to do. Go off on the kids when they have done that thing for the 15th time that you've told them now for the 20th time, do not do this. Uh, disciplines, maybe it's disciplines for you. Things like go to the gym. You know, why do we go to the gym three times a week? Can it, isn't once a month good enough? I mean, so it's like, I don't want to go again. And, but you know, you've committed to living a healthy lifestyle, but you're just, it's, you're, or maybe personal devotional time, prayer time, reading the Bible, you're tempted to cheat on that and back off. And, and again, you go on with so many other areas of worry, fear, peer pressure, just wanting to be enough and fitting in, but we're tempted Every one of us in this room at some level faces temptation, that thing that pulls at you that you know you don't want it to. And what I find interesting, the the temptation isn't wrong, falling is. And we're going to talk about this point at much greater length next week. But when I fall to temptation, I actually sin. What ends up happening, there's this thing called isolation that sets in. Isolation from you, from me, me from God, us from one another. Isolation always comes with sin. And that's one of the, the ugly, dark sides of sin. And we're going to deal with it much later. But, but what I find happening with temptation... You sit down and talk to, whether it's a full-blown addict who just cannot give up that thing, or whether it's someone who's just struggling with uh, some little sin, almost always, almost always, you begin to hear this, I'm in this thing all alone. Now, they don't say it that way, but it usually comes like this. It usually comes with, you don't know what it's like to be married to him or to be married to her. Or to have that as a mom or that as a dad or to have grown up in this neighborhood or to you, you, people don't get me. And there's this battle and this struggle, and, I, and we begin to think, I'm all alone. I've, I've, no one else has faced this as I've faced it. But there's a writer in the Bible named Paul, and he actually says this. Now, if you have never memorized Scripture, or maybe you're new to the church, your Scripture memory is a, kind of a foreign thing to you, this would be, I'd encourage you to try it out. And this would be a phenomenal, this is a classic verse that it's just lock away in the mind. 
But it says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is, say this word together with me, what is common to mankind. So the truth of this teaching is that you do not face a single thing that the people beside you don't in some way or somewhere in this room face. We are not alone in this struggle. We're going to talk about Adam and Eve. What they faced thousands of years ago is the exact same thing you and I still face. It's crazy. It goes on to say this, and God is faithful. (laughs) He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So it says God is good. God, God wants you to love him with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he will not allow anything into your life that you personally cannot defeat with his help. But we don't say that, do we? Oh, this is so hard. I can't do this. I'm all alone. No one gets me. My husband doesn't understand. My wife doesn't understand. God says, no, I understand. And I'm with you. And this thing called temptation has been around from day one. It's been around a really long time. And the way it was around back then is what it's still going on today. You're going to be amazed when you look at Genesis chapter three and see what this guy named Adam and this girl named Eve faced. You're going to say, wow, it's exactly what I deal with. Temptation kind of give you ahead of time. Here's how I say it. Temptation kind of comes. It does, it does three things to us. Here's what makes temptation so dangerous and why we end up falling when it comes. Guarantee. Now, this first one it does is we don't often think about, but basically it diminishes God's goodness. It's some capacity. The thing that you were tempted to do, the reason you were tempted is because you think I have to have that for life. In order to enjoy life, in order to have a healthy marriage, in order to have a, have a good job, in order to whatever it is, I have to have that. And I know God says it, we begin to diminish and we begin to think maybe it's suffering. I'm in this thing all alone. Um, I'm, I'm hurting. I'm... It, temptation, that thing that throws out there in one capacity it diminishes the goodness of God. It exaggerates his limits. Almost always, almost always the thing that I'm tempted with, whether it's ice cream, did God ever say thou shalt not have a second serving of ice cream? No, that God might say, Hey, enjoy it. But we exaggerate our mind, his limits. And when we exaggerate limits, things get ugly. And we'll, we'll talk about that. And then the final thing that I think that we're going to see in Genesis chapter 3 is temptation almost always tones down the penalty. In other words, it's really not going to be that bad. Oh, really? It is that bad. And usually it's uglier than what we actually think. So that's kind of what temptation, that's kind of how it unfolds. And turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Genesis chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, maybe you have a smartphone or a tablet. We do have Wi-Fi here in the, in the building, so uh, feel free to grab Genesis chapter 3 there. If you don't have a Bible and have a smartphone, please see us afterwards. We would love to place a Bible in your hands. If you're new to the Bible, again, welcome. Glad you're here. This is a very brave place to come. If you're new to Christianity, again, thanks for being here. Genesis is an easy one to find. I gave you an easy one this morning. It's just go to the beginning of your Bible, page a few pages, and there it will be. Genesis chapter three, <coughs> excuse me, pastor Chris read this last week. Uh, we're going to read it this week and we're going to look at it again. Last week, pastor Chris looked at Satan, who the serpent was Satan and looked at how Satan works this week. We're going to look at how this thing called temptation works next week. Then we're going to take the same passage and we're going to look at the results of falling to temptation. What, what happens as a result of that? Um, so this week we're just looking at that, that middle part. 
Look at me in verse 1. I'm going to read through it. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, talking animals, pretty cool, huh? Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse 4 says this. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When a woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And we're going to look at that part and the rest of it uh, at great length next week. But right away in verse one, you see the very first thing out of Satan's mouth, the very first thing he says, did God really say, see that Satan's MO right there. It is. He will do anything he can. And temptation will do anything it can to get us to doubt God's character, God's nature and God's word. In other words, I want you to doubt God's goodness. Is God really good? Is God really for you? So Satan's going to come at you. And the minute I begin to doubt the goodness of God, I am in trouble. And see, some of us struggle with the goodness of God. And I get it. The world is hard. We suffer. There is pain. Life doesn't always go as we think it should. If, you're in, if you've been a part of Bethany and you're reading our reading plan, God's promises this, this year, uh, you know, at the beginning of this week, we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and a guy named Paul shows up there, and he had a pretty tough life. He gave his life to Jesus, and it did not go as he would have liked it, I'm sure. He was beaten. He was stoned, not, not drugs, but stones thrown at him. He was whipped multiple times. He was left for dead. He was shipwrecked, and you go on and on. And on top of it all, it says in this passage that God gave him something, some kind of physical disability. He would have been handicapped. Now, we don't know what it is. Scholars, some scholars think, and I, I tend to lean towards it, was probably he struggled with his eyes. He probably had weak eyes and was probably close to blind is what some, some believe that it was. So here Paul is, and he's given himself to God. He says, I wanted, I'm here to serve you. I'm here. I'm all in, God. I'm all in. He prays. He heals everyone else. Paul heals people all the time, but he can't heal himself. He cannot heal himself. So he prays repeatedly, God, please heal me. And all this incredible passage shows up, and God basically says, no, I'm not going to. You think, well, I thought God's for us. This is what we miss. God will not give you. He will not give me something that will take my heart from him. And he says, Paul, you know why you have that? Because in my weakness, you are strong. In your weakness, I am strong. Sorry. And he says, my grace is enough for you. I am good, Paul. I am good. And what happens with temptation is we begin to doubt that. We begin to doubt God's character. We begin to doubt God's nature. We begin to doubt, is God really for me? Now, we don't ever say those words. A lot of times we gloss right over this. But what we really begin to think is, I need that. Because if I had that, my life would be good. And God isn't giving it to me. We don't say that. But that's really what we're doing. I need to be with that person who's not my spouse. I need to go there where I know I shouldn't be. I need to. And God's saying, no, no, no. I'm a good God. I am for you. My grace is all that you need. 
So let's say if you really want to beat back temptation, the very first thing I think is absolutely essential is to believe deep in your heart that God is good. His grace is all that you need. And if you can't do that, wrestle with it, journey it, push in, walk with some friends. But here's what I would say. Don't graduate onto the rest of it till you nail this one down. It's okay to wrestle with it. It's okay to push back. But do it with some, we'll do it with some people around you and push into this. Because if I do not believe that with the fiber of all the way deep down to my toes, I'm going to fall every temptation that's thrown my way. Now look at verse 2. You're going to see the exaggeration of limits come out here in verse 2. It says, the woman said to the serpent. Now, Eve almost wins the battle here. Look at what she says. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. I'm like, hey, Eve, way to go. You got this thing. I mean, she almost gets it because what she's saying is, hey, Satan, God's given us all of this. God is a good God. God has provided for us. God has not only given us food, but he's given us food that we actually enjoy and it tastes good and it, and it, and it does cool things to our body. when we, It makes us feel really good. when we. And, and God has given us all these trees and they're beautiful. He didn't just create trees to, to help with the oxygen, but he created trees that are beautiful. So she almost wins the battle, but then look at what she does. She falls to the second part of, of what temptation does. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Okay, right on, Eve. And you must not touch it. Pause. Did God say that? Did God tell Eve not to touch the tree? I'll give the answer. No. Now, it makes a lot of logical sense to us. But what, what Eve is doing is exaggerating the limits of God. Now, it makes a lot because if I have kids and I say, don't touch the cookies in the cookie jar, it would probably make logical sense that you don't want to walk up and, oh, and, and just and touch it and feel it and maybe hold it and, and rub it. And, you, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell my kids, hey, guys, guess what? Dad said don't eat the cookies. That's probably not a good thing to do to keep you from eating the cookies. So it makes logical sense. If she's not supposed to eat the fruit, you probably don't want to go and touch the fruit. But God did not say it. This is a really big deal to me. This verges on what I call legalism. And, and legalism is, is a brutal killer. The reason it's such a brutal killer is because where law increases, sin increases. Where law increases, shame and guilt increase. And when shame and guilt increase, I am going to go down an ugly, dark road. You say, well, what's legalism? Well, let me give you the best definition I've ever come across. And I, I, keep, I just found this one recently, and I, it, it replaced the other one I did have for it. Larry Osborne, a pastor out in California, um, says it this way. Legalism is a heightened emphasis on the implications of Scripture rather than the explicit commands of Scripture. Now, here's how this one works. Two weeks ago, we talked about the three-letter word that begins with S. We have younger ears here now, so I'll be careful how I say this. We talked about that, that that activity that's to take place between a man and a woman is a beautiful thing. And it's, it's designed to show us the relationship that God wants with us, which is one flesh. God says, I want a relationship with you that is intimate, that is close. And then he goes into, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Some of you remember that. And we talked about it. And we said, and it basically says, hey... God wants this relationship, and he says, do you not know that if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and your body, it gives this famous verse, and if you've grown up in a church, you probably know this verse, your body is a temple of the what? Holy Spirit. Now, that verse is given to us a clear teaching to basically keep your pants on. 
That's what it says. Stay pure. Stay sexually pure. Now, what's interesting to me, though, is over the years, I've heard people, so that is explicit. It is crystal clear. But I've heard people take this, your body is the Holy Spirit, and here's what they do with it. They begin to say, well, God mandates physical fitness. Well, yeah, I could see in the Bible, it's probably going to take care of your body. And Timothy talks about it, another chapter in our New Testament. I, I, I get my head around that. We'll go on to take that same verse to say it's a prohibition against body art or tattoos. It's a prohibition against piercings. It's a prohibition against plastic surgery because you're the temple of God. It's, some will go on to say it's a prohibition against smoking. Or some will just simply say it's a directive to always look your best, dress for success, color coordinated with your teeth flossed. And I say, no, it's not. No, it's not. It is there because it is there to teach you and it's to teach me to stay sexually pure. Period. Now, as I said, it makes logical sense why, why Eve would say don't touch it because probably if I'm not going to eat it, I probably shouldn't go touch it. So it would make logical sense of why you could add other things to it. And you could, but to then say God told me this, God is crystal clear and everyone else needs to do this too. No. It takes you to some dark places and you're going to lose the battle of temptation every time we go there. So one of the things I would say is really focus in on the explicit teachings of scripture. It's shocking to some of us, but you can take one scripture and have two opposing personal applications. You can take two people, same passage and have different personal applications. That's cool. Leave it as your personal application and not something for all of us to take. And don't take it as thus saith God. This is what we have to do unless he explicitly commands it in the Bible. We each have the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. We are his temple. So I'd say it this way. The second thing, if you really want to beat back temptation after you get through God being good or not, focus on applying what scripture says, not what it implies. I mean, I'll be honest with you. This book has some pretty black and white teachings that I struggle with. Until I've graduated past that, don't get lost in all the implications. Really focus on what it, impl- what it absolutely crystal clear says. Don't run with the other one. Now look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Again, this is, where get into the, this is where we're going to get into the toning down of the penalty. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So again, the thing that's interesting here, the thing that's very interesting. Notice that Satan moved from casting doubt on God to where is he's at now? He's openly denying God's word. It's a subtle shift, but he moves from, did God really say to, God's a liar. God doesn't know what he's talking about, is what, what he's saying now. And what's interesting to me here, this is, this is where temptation, I think, gets us in trouble. Satan isn't completely wrong. Some of you say, oh, what do you mean? You know, some of you know the story. When Eve picked the fruit and then gave it to Adam, who I love in the text, was right there with her. We're going to talk about that next week. That's interesting to me. What was, I mean, why wasn't Adam stepping in here? And what's, why? I mean, that's a whole nother. We'll talk about that next week. So Eve takes the fruit and she eats it. Did she die? Matter of fact, you read a couple pages into your, the book of Genesis here, and you're going to find she lived. She was, a, she, was, she was an old lady till she died. She was hundreds of years old. Now, she eventually died. So see, what, what Satan does and what temptation does is it tones down the penalty. Oh, Eve, come on. God's such a killjoy. You're not going to really die. 
You're not really going to, that's, it's really not that bad. He's just trying, he doesn't want to share with you, Eve. He wants it all to himself. And so Eve takes and eats it because it tones down. Now we do this a lot because seldom, and okay, we'll talk about death next week. And we'll talk about how death just means separation. So yes, their soul was ripped from their body. And it also means that they were separated from God. The spiritual death happened. And we'll talk about all that next week uh, in much more detail. But for now, for this topic of temptation, I want you to think about the last thing that you were tempted and you fell to. I'm going to venture a guess, seldom, seldom does that thing bring immediate felt consequence. Seldom does it ever bring immediate felt consequence. Now, you may have a twinge of guilt, you may have a twinge of shame and think, oh, I blew it. And, but even that can get skewed because we have a thing called a conscience that we can harden and it can be overactive. And, but seldom do you have it. So, for example, you're, you're, you're a bacon lover. And you've been to your doctor and your doctor says to you, no more bacon. The doctor says to you, you're going to die of a heart attack because of the sodium and because of the cholesterol and the fat and stop eating your bacon. So you head to the, the wonderful smorgasbords we have around here. And there it is. I mean, it is like the rainbow, you know, it comes down to the pot of gold and it's like this big thing of bacon. And you're thinking, oh my goodness. Now you, you, the doctors told, you no, and you've, you've committed, you and your spouse have said no more bacon. You, so you know, the bacon's off limits, but you get there, you have your plate and you're looking down and there is the bacon. So you think, oh, what's two pieces. So you eat two pieces question. Does it have immediate consequences? No, you aren't going to wake up on the surgeon's table tomorrow. Now, you might in 20 years, but not tomorrow. That's how temptation works. Oh, just flirt a little at the office. It's okay. It's really not that big of a deal. Just flirt a little. Now, seldom do, now you flirt a little today. Does it mean you're going to be in bed with them tomorrow? Probably not. Does it mean your marriage is going to end tomorrow? Probably not. And then the other thing that happens is the penalty gets toned down. Oh, just flirt a little because it's really not that bad. It's really not that, but you talk to someone who's flirted a little and ended up having an affair and ended up with a broken marriage. And you say, how bad was it? They'll say it was a hundred times worse than I ever could have imagined. And I'm in such pain right now that I would do anything to get rid of, but it's how temptation works. We don't ever think about it. We tone it down. We tone it down. We back it off. I may walk into the home after work and I may be moody and grumpy. You say, no, church doesn't make you moody and grumpy, Adam. I know. It's, uh, what am I thinking? But I may walk into home after work and I'm moody and grumpy and my little girls are there and my little girls want a hug from their dad and I'm all detached and I'm all, I'm all kind of, you know, emotionally withdrawn from them. Now they're not going to wake up tomorrow and jump in the arms of another man. That's a loser. I don't want my girls to marry a loser, but I'm, see what I got to learn to do. Here's the way I'd say it. Here's the way I'd say this. Take God at his word, claim his promises and play the movie forward. So what I've got to learn to do is walk in the door and say, do I want my, my little girls marrying a loser? Answer? No. Well, guess what I got to tell myself? I've got to understand sociology and psychology and guess how it works. If a little girl looks to daddy and looks to that love and acceptance that only daddy can give. And when daddy isn't giving it, guess what the little girl begins to do? Grow up and looks elsewhere for that love from another man. And oftentimes it's a loser. So again, I've got to learn to play the movie forward and say, okay, okay, I'm tired, I'm moody and I'm grumpy. But if I do not 
drive a stake in the ground right now and open my arms to those little girls, it's going to be ugly one day. A lot of us don't do this though. Oh, the bacon, the extra ice cream, just another drink. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal till you lose your license with a DUI or you end up beating your spouse or you end up in jail. And then you ask, is it a big deal? Yeah, it's a big deal. Didn't seem like that when I was having fun at the bar, but now man, it's a mess. So again, listen to God, claim him at his word and play the movie forward, I think is a really big deal. Now, before reading the <coughs> rest of the passage here, I want to read another one. This is one of Jesus' very best friends. His name is John. Uh, so close, in fact, that Jesus gave um, his mother, Mary, to John to take care of. I mean, just crazy thing. I think that's probably one of the reasons John, uh, John is one of the, Chris mentioned last week, John's one of the only disciples that, that didn't see death, uh, did, wasn't martyred for his faith. And I think maybe some of that's because uh, he had to put up with uh, Mary and who knows and what else and really caring for her. I think, I think as he cared for her, possibly, I think Jesus let him live. That's just my hypothesis, but not, not gospel. Anyway, so here, this really good friend of Jesus shows up and says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... Now, here's what it says. He's going to describe the world, the things that are outside of who God is. He describes them in three things. The desires of the flesh, the things that make my body feel good. The things that really... I mean, the food, the sex, the, the drugs, the alcohol, the stuff I want to take into my body to it, give me some kind of feeling in my, in my body. And the desires of the eyes, the things that I look at, the things that I say I have to have, I covet, I want, I, I want to go after, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, the things that are going to puff me up and make me someone, make me enough, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, keep that in mind and look with me at verse 6 of chapter 3. So this has been around from day one. This is nothing new. Guaranteed. When you struggle with temptation, it falls into one of these three things. When the woman saw that the fruit on the tree was what? Good for food. Which one is it? It's the first one. Desires of the flesh. So she looks at the fruit. She says, it looks good. It's going to make me feel good. Now look at the very next thing it says. So the fruit was, the tree was good and pleasing to the eye. Look at this. Desire. And it's like, it's like, it's like John went back and just wrote these verses down when he, when he wrote this letter, uh, first John. So it was, Pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining what? Wisdom. Which one is that? Pride of life. Guaranteed anything that you struggle with, what the lie is, it's it's saying you need this. Notice this is in contrast to love of God. So God is saying, I am your all in all. Love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Make me your everything. Worship me. All of your worth should be in me. What you value and your identity should be in the person of Jesus, period. But what these things come along and say, oh, come on, you need more than Jesus. I mean, you need a good job and you need, you need the accolades of your friends and you need to be accepted by the people you work with and you need to, and all these things begin to come at us and it's, it's just a full bore lie that says God is not enough and he's not sufficient. And it would say, no. Satan did it with these guys. It's been like that from day one. Now, before we land this plane, there's one rather really big point I want to make. Think about Adam and Eve. One of the things that's true of them is they were in the perfect environment. This is a big deal to me. The perfect environment cannot stop sin. They were in a garden of Eden. Beautiful. 
They did not have sin nature, which we're going to talk about next week. So we're born with sin nature. They didn't even have that. There was no sin ever other than Satan had fallen at some point before this. But this is this perfect, complete environment, and it could not stop sin. One of the things that we do with temptation, and then when we fall with sin, is we begin to look out there. Well, it's their problem. If I hadn't been in this situation, or if I changed this circumstance, or if I'd move out of this neighborhood, if I wouldn't have that mom or that dad, or if I wouldn't have that teacher or these friends. And we begin to look out at our environment. I'll be... <laughs> crystal clear environment can play a role i don't minimize that because scripture does say bad company does what corrupts good morals so you hang out with losers i don't like something with a loser here this morning you hang out with losers you're going to be a loser but if you're constantly looking out there if you're constantly looking outward you're never going to beat back sin and temptation see often in this battle with sin we think that the answer is to hunker down to protect and avoid Let's cloister ourselves. If I would go build a monastery somewhere far, far away from all of you, and I build this big, long tower, and I just go put myself in that tower, and I'm going to live there till I die, not talk to another human being, not interact with the world, completely shut myself off from the world, guess what? I'm still going to sin. And see, there's this religious lie that begins to come to us, and we see it in our county. I mean, it's, it's the lie of pull out from the world and go live this separate little life that, that is completely detached from everyone, and your life is going to be so much better. Well, that could be true. Absolutely, that could be true. There could be a lot of wisdom in some of that. But it's not what Jesus says. When he prays for us, Pastor Chris used this verse last week. It says, I do not pray that you will take them out of the world. He's praying for you and me in this. If you're in this room and you're a believer in Jesus, he prayed for you. John 17, there's a prayer that he's praying for us. And he says, don't take them out of the world. Rather, leave them in the world, but I want you to keep them safe from the Satan who he understands can kill and take the soul. Live in the world. Just keep them safe from Satan while they're, while they're living in the world. Be in the world, but not of it is the, is the term that sorry, some of you are familiar with that I would use. The perfect neighborhood the perfect home, the perfect school, the perfect job, the perfect circumstance is not a solution. You cannot protect yourself, your kids, your spouse, your friends enough. And it's honestly not Jesus' desire. I think as I look at my life and Christian school and how it was used in my life, nothing wrong with Christian school. I support and get my head around why it's in existence. But why it was used in my life was to protect me, to pull me away. I've talked to my parents, and they've said, well, they were young Christians. They didn't know how to, how to raise me. They didn't know what to do. So they, they, they knew, well, here's this Christian school. So they sacrificed huge amounts of money and a very low income. And we were poor growing up to get me to this Christian school. But what the heart behind it was to protect, to pull out, to cloister. Well, guess what? I found just as much trouble there as I could anywhere. It doesn't work. It doesn't help. Now, to land the plane, I want to close with Jesus' temptation. It's very interesting to me. Jesus is tempted. And Jesus wasn't in a perfect environment either. Jesus, think about this. When Jesus was tempted, and you read through in Matthew chapter 4, if you read it this week, you just read through Matthew 4, the way he was tempted, he had three things come at him, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life were involved with him. Satan uses the same tactics with Jesus, and Jesus was in less than a perfect environment. Jesus was out in the wilderness, away from people, 
the wilderness, desert, you know, cold at night, hot during the day. Don't have a shelter over your, a nice house to, to live in. He is, it says he's been out there for 40 days without food. Now, I've already ex- confessed my weakness. Food is, food, is, food is a big deal to me. 24 hours without food. You know, I, times when the church will fast and pray, I'm like, oh, do we really have to do that again? I mean, because it's like 24 hours without food kills me. 40 days without eating a thing. His body is weak. He is beat down, no doubt. He is physically, he's physically exhausted. At that point, Satan shows up, less than perfect environment. Satan shows up, and this is what Matthew records as the third temptation. I'm not going to, we don't have time to look at all of them, but this is the third one. Finally, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. If you bow down and worship me, he said, I will give you all of this. Pride of life. There it is. Jesus said to him, now look at what he does. Get away from me, Satan. It is written. So he uses scripture. Worship the Lord your God. He is the only one you should serve. Now, I want to make a statement about something. Pastor Chris talked last week about prayer and how important prayer is. And prayer is hugely important. But the thing I find interesting in Ephesians chapter 6, when we are told, if you're, if you're familiar with that passage, it's this armor that's given to the Christian to be able to stand up against Satan. When you look at the armor, there's only one offensive weapon given to us, and it's not prayer. You know what it is? The Bible. Now, prayer is very important. Pastor Chris was not wrong in stating that because after he gets done describing the armor, he says, now I want you to pray and pray without stopping. So prayer is hugely part of the game. But when the, the armor is described that we are given to stand up against temptation and against Satan himself, there's only one offensive weapon and it's the Bible. So Jesus stands up and Jesus, and this, look, at, look at the other underpinning. Look at the verse that he quotes. Worship the Lord your God. He is the only one you should serve. In other words, love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Satan. He is my all in all. He is my identity. He is what I value more than anything else. Now look at this next statement then. As Matthew records it, the devil left Jesus. Now as I started, you want that. I know that. If you're in your battles of temptation, you would like the devil to leave you alone. You had enough of it. So he left Jesus and then this next statement, and angels came and took care of him. Wouldn't that be cool? To have a supernatural infusion of strength given to you. But notice it doesn't come pre-temptation. It comes after the victory. Very interesting to me. Back when Luke records this, another friend of Jesus, he actually talks. It's almost like at that point, Jesus left with power. So we didn't, it's interesting how that's all laid out, but the strength and power that we so badly want comes after standing up, not pre-standing up. Interesting. But the message in the heart of this, again, temptation will do everything it can to diminish God's goodness. You need more than God. You need more than Jesus. You need more. It exaggerates his limits. Did God really say that? Is that really what's going to, and then it tones down his penalty. Is that really what's going to happen? Come on. If you want the devil to leave you alone and to be attended by angels and have that supernatural infusion of strength, if you want to protect your kids and protect your spouse and protect the people in your life, the best thing you can do is to root out the idols of your heart. The things that you look to, to make you worth something, the things that are of value to you, the things that you live for. And if you're living for something, 
other than Jesus Christ himself, it's an idol. It's okay to have a great job, a nice house, a car, but if that is what I am living for to make me someone, I'm in trouble. So root out the idols and then your identity. What is your identity? Who makes you enough? Is it Jesus or is it something else? I know there's a Sunday school class going on. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The heart of that is powerful. You do not need anything else added to Jesus to make you valuable, to make you worthy, to make you. And see what temptation does is says, Adam, Adam, come on. I know you're a Christian. I know Jesus accepts you and loves you completely, but you really need these people over here to accept you too. So I work really hard to get them to accept me, to make me, so that I can feel good when I go to bed at night. That's what temptation does. And it says, listen, root the idols of your heart out and make sure that it's Jesus plus nothing, period. That I'm looking to find my identity and that his grace is sufficient, is enough. It's all I need. If I can do that, I love when Jesus says back to Satan, worship God, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Satan. That's what I'm called to do. Temptation is a guaranteed loss in my life. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his grace. Thank you for his mercy. Thank you for dying for me. God, temptation is something we all battle. Every one of us in this room at one level or another. Some may have fallen this morning already. Some have maybe faced temptation. Even while we're sitting here, something's been kicking around in their mind that they've been drawn to think about that they know they shouldn't. It's with us all the time. This cry of our heart to say, you're not enough. You're not enough. You need that thing that's going to make your body feel good or that thing that satisfies the eyes or that thing that's going to make you wise in everyone else's eyes. When God, you're screaming at us, I am enough. I am, my grace is sufficient for you, period. God, how easily we slip and how easily we fall and how easily we run. God, help us as people, those of you here that are Christians, help us to, to just take the gospel message, to live it out now, today, every single day and every moment saying, I am in Jesus and Jesus is in me, period. God, for those in the room this morning that would not be a Christian, God, may this be the morning where they stop and say, what? What? I've been living for so many things other than Jesus and God. I'm not at peace, not at rest. And God, may we hear the message, come unto me, all your weary and burdened, and find rest for your souls. And we find it in Jesus, not in our jobs and our families and our, our school and our grades and our cars and our houses and our boats and our, all the other stuff, which is good stuff but not the thing that we should be living for. So help us to worship Jesus, to find our all in all in him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.